Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Damsels in Discussion, where we look at pop culture from a funny feminist foul mouth perspective. This week, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones and Mad Men. Nashville is on a couple-week hiatus still. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I think we're going to dive right into Game of Thrones, Episode 5. So we're already halfway through the season, huh? So we open with the, what's it called? The trial by combat. The Hound versus Beric, is that how we say it? Um, and it is brutal. It's really brutal. It was interesting how bloodthirsty Arya was. I think she's the most brutal of the Starks. I mean, Rob always feels, looks like he feels bad about killing, but she wanted his death. She she's like carrying grudges against a lot of people. And I think that grudge list keeps growing. I don't think she had enough death wishes for Jakar. Is that his name? Was that his name? Jakin Jakar. Jakin Hagar. Jakin Hagar. Yeah. Yeah, I think she ran out of death wishes and she's still got like another eight or nine people that she wants to see dead, preferably by her own hand. It seems like. (laughs) Right. And we think of the Starks as kind of good natured, nice people but i think if things don't go well for aria i think she could be really brutal and be kind of a villain has she killed anyone yet i was wondering that too i can't remember whether she has only ordered these deaths or whether she had a physical hand in any of them i don't think she the only time i could think that she might have is when um shit was going down after her dad died uh i remember her sword fighting people but I think it was a futile effort. She's a tough little girl, our Arya. I read an uh, interview with George R. R. Martin, and he said that he promised his wife that Arya wouldn't get killed. <laughs> so. Oh wow. Yeah, I think she threatened to like divorce him or something if anything happened to Arya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That's funny. She's gonna be with us for a little while, which is good because otherwise I'd be really worried about her. What I'm hoping is that eventually, you know, we haven't, we didn't get to see Bran on this episode, but I think as he gets more sort of spiritual and she gets more physical and bloodthirsty, I would love to see them eventually come together and have to sort of be like, we have to decide for what our family's going to be because they're like polar opposites. Like he has to talk her down off the murderous ledge. Yeah, I could see a really interesting relationship there when hopefully they eventually come back together. Do you think that family is ever going to be in the same room again? I think that's what we're hoping for. I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the main threads in the whole show. Like bringing all the Starks together again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they get completely dispersed after like the first or second episode. And they they're, seem to really enjoy being around each other. They're not the brightest bulbs in the room, though. <laughs> they aren't. You know, like the Lannisters are so cunning and so are the Tyrells. And the Starks are just kind of good at fighting and they're big hearted but they're they're like dogs they're kind of idiots though a little too loyal they're like dire wolves and rob is a little hypocritical in his choices that he's making here where i guess he's allowed to make any battle choice he wants because he feels like it but no one else is (laughs) he can marry whoever and execute whoever and damn the strategic consequences but if anyone else does it then they're stupid i don't know i wasn't on board with him on this episode 
I wasn't either, although I was reading a couple of recaps and people seem to be like, oh, Rob did the right thing because there was treason going on. And I'm thinking he just does one stupid thing after another, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not as much on the Rob train anymore. I mean, he seems to be making really bad decisions. His power over his army is waning by the day. And uh, he's boring, so I'm just not that <laughs> <laughs> the greatest sin. <laughs> yeah. Boring. <laughs> so again, just my love of looking at the actor in his hilarious getups gets me through those scenes. <laughs> I think my favorite comment about his like leather weirdness he was wearing this uh with the beard and the mustache was someone tweeted that he looked like the cover of a seventies album and I was like, Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> with his pelts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Well, speaking of pelts, I guess we should talk about Jon Snow. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, God's damn. gift to cunnilingus. <laughs> I mean, come on. That was like, somewhere there's a writer of a Game of Thrones porn parody who's mad because they stole the exact scene from the porn parody. Like That was just like so, like... You know nothing, Jon Snow, and then the fake orgasm sounds. I couldn't. Yeah. I was laughing so hard. I'm sorry. I, I'm sure it was supposed to be sexy, but for me, it was just hilarious. Yeah, it was really not sexy for me. <laughs> I was like, Jon Snow invents Kalingus. <laughs> Wait, which one of you described it as basically a hot tub in a cave? Oh, I... Yeah, that was me. Oh my god, I love that comment. Yeah. It's like <laughs> going hot tub in. The only thing hot in that scene was was the tub though. I just could not get into it. It was I, I mean I, I guess it was supposed to be kind of hot and Jon Snow giving up all his vows to be with the redheaded lady and you know. They're both boring and I was just wondering the whole time. I mean, A, why not bathe first before <laughs> Right. Sucking on each other's bits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Gross. Gross and bit. B, if there's this warm cave full of hot springs, why is everyone else hanging out up on the service? Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Completely cold and freezing. How did they death. get the honeymoon suite? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I don't know why they don't consult with us first. <laughs> I think oh. the only thing that I hope I think that might happen is that his losing his virginity and, you know, the bond that happens through sex will fuck up his storyline more than we can see at the moment right now. Yeah. Because he's broken his vows. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, he's he what if he gets like enthralled by her, you know, and wants to have sex all the time, then she slowly gets power over him. And she's already been trying to get that power over him. So it puts him in a precarious situation. I can see him as one of those emo guys, you know? Yeah, totally emo. Yeah. Yeah, it, it could be a problem. Let me, um, let me just let me just play this song I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and interesting things can be done with a storyline where someone is in deep undercover and they have to do things that they don't want to do in order to keep their cover, you know, the mob storyline of it all. Right. Uh, right. But I don't know that I believe this actor can pull off the levels needed to convey that to the audience. Uh, 
because I I still have no clue half the time what he's supposed to be thinking. Yeah, in his defense, I think that he doesn't really know. I think he's like playing this like one moment at a time. And I I do feel like there are a lot of things about the wildlings that I think he kind of likes, especially because he grew up in this really like rigid, stratified world where he was the low guy on the totem pole being a bastard and all. And now mm-hmm. he's, he's in this society where none of that matters. And right. that's, that's got to affect him in some way. That's got to be a, sort of a revelation okay. to him. So our other big Hot Springs-related scene <laughs> came with <laughs> Jamie and Brienne, who had some really interesting and good material again this uh, this episode. Whoever I'm, – I'm sure there's probably, like, one writer who's kind of in charge of this storyline. Whoever it is, you're doing a bang-up job. Love here, it. Here, here, here. Yeah. It was um, the most interesting part of this whole episode, which I wasn't super into, so – yeah, I mean, there was a couple tropes that drive me nuts. Like, uh, we were writing about this in our notes. Number one, always someone, you know, being like, no, I won't take the painkillers. Take the painkillers, everybody. Just right. a message to everyone in life. Take the painkillers. Um, right. And then the the revelation that, you know, you kept the secret that would have helped you out out of pride is a little bit, uh, a little bit overdone for me. But... It kind of makes sense knowing Jamie's personality. I guess so. But yeah, it was so, both of those things are such tropes and they're so frustrating. And it's like, I've never really bought into all that, you know, strong, silent type honor, Mm -hmm. honor business. It never comes to anything good. But having said that, it was such a great scene and Brienne was great. And that, that moment where she just like stands up in the water was Great. Adding it to our list of uh, desired spinoffs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was very, like, symbolic for her. I have nothing to hide. And then he literally has nothing to hide now. You know, he tells this big secret that presumably no one else knows how he saved the whole city. And then just it didn't matter because he had gone against his duty and he just had to sort of take that, I guess. There's so many layers to his situation right now. Right. Suddenly we care about him. It's like you wrote in the notes. I'm so shocked that I, I would care so deeply about this character in this season, but it's he's one of the most fascinating characters this season. Yeah, and that moment when uh, the guard guy, the new badass in town, would made him think that Cersei was dead for a second. I mean, oh. that was so cruel. And I was really just like, I hate you right now. I will always hate this character for delivering this news in this manner. This episode really made me understand Jamie and Cersei's relationship because for both of them, they could always hold on to each other. I mean, Cersei is then married off again to a gay guy, you know, and she has to do this again. And it's like, well, at least she can keep this love that is her her own, you know, because it's her brother. No one will take her away from her brother. You know, he'll always be in her life. So as fucked up as it is, I kind of got it. Yeah, I wonder what'll happen when when uh, they are finally like reunited and he's missing his hand and he spent all this time with Brienne and I don't know. I, it's it's interesting, like how like is he going to get back there like a changed man? You know, I think he definitely will. I think that we are seeing the dismantling of him because I don't know if he ever really has changed until this journey. Right, the dismantling of his male construct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I feel really bad for Cersei. I mean, she's got a real bum deal. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Brandy says here, sucks to be a Lannister. It really yeah. does. Like, uh, I thought that whole scene was so well played. I, sh- It was one of those twists where you're like, I should have seen that this is where everything was going to go, but I didn't. But it played out so well. And uh, Lena Headey just, as usual, plays Cersei's reactions fantastically. It's like on purpose they're giving her not very many lines in these table scenes, and she's just making the silence work for her so well. I mean, we're just seeing all the power she built last season just crumble. And I'm now rooting for Tywin's death almost as much as Joffrey's. <laughs> yeah, really. He's just awful. I, you know, and I kind of thought he was a little, he had a little more going on when he was at Hall and Arya was serving him. And he seemed mm-hmm. like, like a smart guy and he seemed like he had some kind of humanity. But this season, it's just like one bullshit decision after another. Yeah, he loves his children as much as Don Draper does. <laughs> Fathers of the year. Here. Fathers of the year. Utter contempt for your offspring. And it's unclear to me, too, what he wishes that they were. I mean, I guess it's clear with Tyrion what he wishes. But Cersei technically has done everything she was supposed to do, you know? And more. She just do it with a smile on her face. And now, you know, she's not the only reason that Joffrey is the way he is, you know? Uh, He's been... The whole kingdom has given him everything, not just her. Right. So... I guess <laughs> I, I never thought I would defend her quite as much as I am as either, <laughs> but. Well, I think that episode with her in the red keep, we saw a lot of layers to her and know yeah. why she acts the way she does and seeing her just be used as a pawn. You know, we've seen her as a powerful woman and now here she is. She's just a woman. She's just a pawn. Mm-hmm. No one sees her. power. In fact, her dad keeps telling her what, how she has no power. And then Tyrion, you know, being being told that he's going to marry. Did you guys see that coming? No, I didn't see it coming. You know? I love, I read this recap that someone called Sansa the Ryan Lochte of Westeros. Oh, Good looking, geez. but so dumb. You know, that For she has Sansa. no idea the power that she has. And yet here she is just being used as a pawn when she could be building her power as the key to the North. And instead she's just waiting for someone to give her her life. Mm-hmm. That's true. She really doesn't know. Although Ryan Lochte, I, I'm not quite <laughs> following that, but okay. Um, He's just dumb. That's the whole I, thing. I loved, I loved it. <laughs> I, it just made sense to me. I was like, yeah. I got to say like Sansa is like, like stupid, like Rob, but with no power. Right. You know? Like, they're mm-hmm. both dumb, I think. They are both dumb. I mean, I can't speak for the youngest Stark boy because, you know, they're not paying him much, so he's not in very many scenes. Um, <laughs> he's the Bobby of what? Yeah, he's the Bobby Traper. Well, of, of maybe Stark he'll get family. his monologue soon enough then. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, you know, it definitely seems like Arya and Bran are where the, where the brains lie. So what what else is going on? Well, some of the, the other stuff is kind of like the Daenerys stuff was kind of like sort of boring. Like, yeah, do I want to see Jorah and the other guy like arguing about who's going to be like the least influential member of her cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one cares. 
And, and Stannis, I mean, I can't think of a single interesting thing about the Stannis storyline. Stop trying to make me care about Stannis. Don't even bring in weird X-Files shit to try and make me care about Stannis. He's still boring. That's what I yeah. want to say to the Yeah. This is Stannis's. This is why he's not king, of course, because right. he bores us all to death. Um, but yeah. And I don't know what was doing with those. <laughs> I don't know what those were. Babies and Babies and jars. Or miscarriages or whatever. It was just. I don't care how creepy they try to make this storyline. I don't see how it's ever going to affect anything bigger. And therefore I don't care. Yeah. It's so isolated. It feels so isolated that I, yeah, I, I, it's time to get up and fill my wine glass or go to the bathroom and he comes on this, on the screen. I never give him validity. So before we leave Game of Thrones, um, I'm guessing that all of our listeners have watched Game of Thrones, which is so funny. So funny. And so my producer of our script was in town and her hairdresser is the hairdresser in Game of Thrones. hairdresser. And um, while we're here, we just totally started calling Joffrey Power Bottom. So um, in all text messages and all conversations, he's no longer Joffrey. He's just Power Bottom. Um, <laughs> thank you, Game of Thrones. You've uh, you've infiltrated my heart in a great way. I thought Loras was Power Bottom. <laughs> no, jo- <laughs> he talks about Joffrey. He's like, and that little Power Bottom over there, <laughs> or whatever, just like was so amazing. I was like, I love it. So wait, the guy in Gay of Thrones is really a hairdresser? He's really a hairdresser. Oh, let's segue. Do we have any segues? <laughs> no? Let's say se- We need some segue music. Um, <laughs> well, let's go over to Mad Men, where some really shocking <laughs> things happened. Um, we've kind of been expecting some of these big historical events to crash into our world of Mad Men, what did you guys think about the handling of the MLK assassination on the show? I think it's unsurprising, but still a little frustrating that it was basically all about, like, how do white people talk to black people when this happens? Uh, But it also kind of fits in with the greater theme of, like, shitty things happen and life marches on. So I was okay with the episode. I didn't love it. Well, I feel like I more than more so than any other episode, I really felt like Mad Men is about white people. It's about yeah. white people who are stuck in a very changing world and how they're dealing with it. I, I feel like everything that happens is is really seen through the eyes of white people. I think that scene with um, Dawn at the diner with her girlfriend, um, mm-hmm. an anomaly almost because it's like. We only learn more about the black characters as the white characters get to know them. Right. And I I, I do feel like it was very purposeful. Um, I watched this episode twice. And upon the second watching, I really noticed that this whole issue was seen through white people's views of it or their reactions to it. And that and all this white guilt that they were like kind of puking on these <laughs> these black characters that come in and out. I mean, even Bobby and the in the movie theater when the guy's cleaning up and it's like, it's okay to go to the movies when you're sad. Yeah. And or the- everybody likes to go to the movies when they're sad. And it was like, what do you know? <laughs> Little white boy. <laughs> like, what do you boy. know? You know? But now Don loves him and sees him at least mm-hmm. until he expresses concern about Henry and then he doesn't see him anymore. But- yeah. What a low blow. You have this great <laughs> day with your kid and all he's worried about is the other guy getting killed. I mean, that, that does suck. <laughs> 
Great response, though. That won't happen because Henry's not important enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. That Just throwing the low blow right back, you know? I felt like with, with Bobby, it was sort of the same thing. Like, Bobby is like a completely invisible character. They change the actor, nobody notices. And it's a total reflection of Don's feelings about his son, that his son is like mm-hmm. barely registering. And then in this episode, finally, Don notices, oh, I have a son. He can speak, you know? And He likes movies. He likes movies. Yeah. He has a soul. And, and... You know, so he gets a few lines. Um, I just kept thinking, do you think those other actors that played Bobby that never got a single line were so pissed that this kid finally got a whole scene? I mean, a whole episode. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's not fair. Um, and can I just say, I can't believe they spoilered Planet of the Apes for everybody. <laughs> right, because there are people who don't know the end of Planet of the Apes. Right? I mean, what? It was Earth all along? Well, I'll I'll be happy when they can explain to me the end of the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. That's what I'll be happy about. Anyway, I did like Don's little drunken monologue about never having loved his kids, though. It was it was really well expressed. I I mean, it wasn't surprising. We already know that, but yeah. it was nice to hear him say it. And I I I don't think we get to hear parents express eloquently why they don't like their children it's usually like yelling at them you know but really talking about I was supposed to feel this way and I just feel empty about it is was nice because we could that Betty Betty could have given that same monologue that's exactly what I was gonna say is I almost would have rather heard it from her because we do already know it about both characters but I feel like Betty has a chance to change a little bit and I don't believe that Dawn's ever gonna change so I would like this realization to be coming from a character who's had some agency in changing her own life before. It was really interesting that Megan was so upset over the assassination and she kept reaching out to Don and he was just this stone pillar. And all he wanted to do was find out if Sylvia was okay. I mean, it it kind of broke my heart a bit for Megan. That was awful. His, his total obsession with Sylvia and DC Mm-hmm. Do you think it was about her? Or do you think it was about the doctor? I thought he was trying to figure out that his friend was fine. <laughs> like that was, it seemed like it was his office. He was supposed to trying to call and stuff, I guess. Well, but she, she's, often. she's his property. So she's not going to have her own phone. I mean, you know? who else would he call? And of course he wouldn't yeah. call asking about Sylvia because. Right. You know, uh, I think he, I think it was Sylvia that he was worried about. I don't get Yeah. It. He has a savior complex. So. <laughs> And once again, don't really understand Don's like weird infatuations. But I, yeah, I don't understand them either. Um, but I also didn't understand how Ethan from Lost showed up and what the <laughs> fuck was he talking about? I, I watched think, it twice and I still don't understand. I, I don't either. I think he's Roger's yeah. LSD buddy. Isn't he Roger's LSD buddy? I think he's on LSD all the time. It's got to be that. I mean, I don't know what else it could be. That's how, I mean, I'm sure that's how Roger knows him. Maybe it's his dealer or something. I thought it was his insurance guy. Is that code for something? I didn't, I didn't even understand that. Like, I didn't understand enough about the pitch he made to even be offended by it. Like everyone else was. I think <laughs> so. they were offended by how bad it was. <laughs> I guess so. Except for Stan, who thought it was hilarious because he was so toasted. Well, and then. And then Ginsburg runs after him and is like, 
you spoke with MLK's ghost or something? It was like, what? Yeah. Ginsburg like, is in, yeah. Is Ginsburg, has he done acid? I bet he wants to do acid. He probably needs to do some acid. His life is so sad. Ginsburg <sighs> thinks he's an alien, so it's right. not a stretch for me that he would believe that someone could actually get a message from beyond. It really struck me when we went into his life, and we spent a lot of time in his personal life, that he's not making very much money at the, you know, because we see a lot of different, you know, we see Peggy going to buy this nice apartment, you know, and it's like, Ginsburg is still pretty low on the totem pole. I don't think he's making a lot of money there yet. Well, not the way that him and his father are living. That's, yeah. I mean, seeing it through, pretty grim. The, seeing it through the, that young woman's eyes makes it even grimmer because you can see how embarrassed Ginsburg is by everything. Oh, he was like, I can't believe that he brought you to the apartment. And I loved her line. You don't know what where I live. That's true. She was cool. I liked her. Yeah. I she was way cool. Yeah. It was kind of shocking that he was a virgin. I was surprised. I know. I He's know. He's lived a pretty sheltered life. I, I guess he has. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't see him going to see ladies of the evening. So being mm. a nice boy and all. Although he's, like, when he's talking to her, is like, I don't know. Like he was sort of trying to figure out if something was going to happen that night. I mean, he's so, yeah. so innocent. It's like, she's like, tonight's not the night. <laughs> like, right. I love it. He's like, I order soup. I just made this <laughs> like ordering soup is like the worst thing you could order on a date. Reminds me of those old, like 17 magazine articles, like what to order on a first date. Don't order soup. He'll think you're a slut. I don't know. <laughs> Dumb reasons. I totally remember those. And yeah. ladies, order a cream pasta. <laughs> Easy to eat. Won't stain your shirt if you spill it. Well, I always love me some man cat fights in the in the office. We got a good one between Pete and Harry. That was really good. That was just great. Except nobody punched Pete. But that's okay because I, I was on his side, of course. So. Yeah, he's weirdly liberal when it comes to race issues. He was the one, I think it was back in season one, that wanted to do ads for selling TVs to African-Americans. And everybody right. was like, no, we won't serve them, you know. And he was like, but they're consumers, you know. So he's weirdly been, you know, he's such a douche in so many other ways, but he's weirdly on the right side of this issue. Um, yeah, he's a, he's always been more so outspoken in that way, more so than anyone else. Harry's the worst. And I had just gotten into a conversation with someone at brunch that morning where I had decided that I thought Harry was worse than Pete. And I felt very vindicated. (laughs) I was like, I told you he's really the bigger asshole. At least Pete has layers of something going on. Harry just has tunnel vision for dollar signs and doesn't give a shit about anybody. Except right. canceling Bewitched because <laughs> cancel Bewitched. Dean Martin. <laughs> Dean Martin. It's possibly the shittiest thing anybody could have said in response to the assassination. And I just love that the writers put it in there. You know, it's just so shallow and selfish. And you know people were saying shit like that because people will always be jerks. Totally. And I love that they threw it in. I also love that they never know what to do with Bert. So they were like, oh, we'll have him come break it up. Bert is looking old. Yeah. 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 I like that he's just kind of like a treat when he shows up for one scene in an episode. Right. Well, and then on the other end, we have two of the most awkward hugs ever. Joan winning the prize for worst hug ever. 
when she hugs Dawn. It was like, oh my god. And you know how much I love a hug. And Shannon is a gold medal hugger, so. Yeah, yeah. Really... So it really was. I mean, Peggy's always pretty awkward, and I thought she really held it together. So it was like only like a two on the awkward scale, and Joan was like a 13. I, and the scale only goes to 10. So, you know. <laughs> Joan. I mean, Joan. What was that? That was so good. Don Don is she's Don's just great. She's like, uh, I'm just gonna stay. Do you want anything? Like, just go. I don't know what's going on, but you know. And everybody's like, like, go home. She's like, I'd rather stay. Go home. I'd rather stay. Go home. I'd rather stay. Okay, I don't know what to say to you. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. White people. Yeah, never White understand people. them. Yeah. Well, and I th- so when I watched it the second time, it it took me a little while to pick up on some kind of really racist things that Henry was saying, you know, when he wants to run for the Republican seat and, you know, he was like, I have to go. They're going to burn the city down, you know? And he was so appalled that the mayor would go to Harlem and negotiate with hoodlums, which I assume are the black people. So I don't know what is going to happen with his race, but I think there's more than meets the eye with Henry. Yeah, it's interesting because Lindsay, Mayor Lindsay going to Harlem was a huge deal. Like, that's a big historical right. moment uh, for New York City. And they're, they're, it's, all, it's all documented. It's like a, there's like a really big milestone. And the fact that Henry, like, is, is completely shitting on it is really interesting. Yeah. And it's just, he doesn't say anything like, it, that's why it took me the second time I watched it. And I was like, wait, that's a really shitty thing to say. You're definitely being racist. Yeah. And, you know, and he was like, I really want to show, I want to show you to everyone, Betty. And we've kind of been going with, oh, he just really loves her for who she is because she's really sweet. But maybe they have this same type of suburban, keep things the way that they are, line up the wallpaper kind of views. And maybe we're going to see a very demented power couple come out of this. Betty seems... You know, that visual of her holding a dress up to the mirror was pretty mm. foreshadowing. So That obviously, you know, was it was nowhere going to near to fit, you know. It's going to, yeah, she's going to be having some eating disorder issues. I mean, they've already been playing around with that, but I could really see, you know, and when he says, I want to show you to everyone, and you could see the pain on her face, that that's the last thing she wants. Hey, God, girl, <laughs> just go buy a new dress that fits, and you'll look fine. Seriously. And, oh, and do something hair. with that hair. Oh, that hair. Oh. <laughs> it's really bad. Well, let's talk about the cutest power couple ever. And by that, I mean Peggy and Ted Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Abe when, like, Ted Shaw is in his chair and then, like, doesn't Yeah, that was a little him. obvious. Yeah. And <laughs> Abe is so sweet in this episode, but I just, I don't see them ending up with the kids that they were smiling about or anything like that. I really like, even though he seems to be fine, kind of with the fact that Peggy's the breadwinner and he's going to move into her new apartment. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it as a long-term thing. I don't know. That was so sweet when he talks about raising their kids and Peggy just like smiles and she can't stop smiling. And yeah, it was really cute. It was so adorable. Really? Like just, I just love that. I love that scene. And I'm thinking, yes, West 80s, get in on the ground floor. 
I guess I just haven't been thinking of Peggy at all as someone who even wants to have kids. Right. So it was, it was sweet, but it was a little out of place for me still. Hmm. But you know what? It always feels good to have someone say that they want to have kids with you. Well, that they see a future with you, you know. Right. Yeah, that's that what is. they're saying. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like, I see us in the long term, you know, whatever that means. It's not, I mean, they're not married. They're living together. They're not married. She's buying an apartment. He's like coming along, you know? Yeah. I felt like he was more resistant about the movie, the moving into the new apartment more than about money and more than about location. I mean, he really had one foot out, you know? I mean, I think that you can still be excited and be involved in the process and feel like a sense of ownership, even if you're not paying for it, you know, cause you feel know. ownership in the relationship. I don't know. I felt like that was very, I don't know. This is 1968 and he's a dude and his wife is buying right. it. I mean, his girlfriend is buying an apartment. I, he, That's I, true. I'm thinking in a modern way. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was like pretty cool given the situation. I agree. Right. Okay. So, I don't know. Wrong, wrong on my part. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when the realtor is, is selling the apartment to her because the second Avenue subway is going to be built. Yeah. And you know, prices are going to skyrocket. So that's 1968. I think they've already been planning to build the second Avenue subway for decades at that point, And it's still not built. No. <laughs> Yes, it's it's being it's they're That's actually crazy. Drilling, they're drilling the tunnels now finally, but um, <laughs> so That's crazy. I think everyone watching that in New York just let out uh, a huge uh, laugh. We, I was watching it with my friend Kristen, and we both started howling with laughter that she was like, "Oh, and the Second Avenue subway is going to be built." <laughs> it's like a running joke here in New York that that subway is yeah. never never going to be built. Yeah, but I was it wasn't my favorite episode, but there was a lot of lot of good meaty sections and moments. I just we didn't we didn't mention the great moment with Pete and Trudy on the phone together. Oh yeah. I mean if you don't want to be together when the word world is burning down and everything you thought you knew isn't that way anymore, then you really don't want to be together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sirens going past your house and you don't want to be together, like you're fucked. You're done. Well, he wanted to be with her. Yeah, I think it was hard for her, too. I don't think that was an easy thing for her to say. Because even though, you know, her monologue made it sound like, I've been putting up with you for so long, she she does care about Pete. She does, she has always seen what good there is to see in him, so. He's also the father of her child. I have to say, every time I see Alison Brie on this show, and I think about her on Community, I just think about what a great actress she is. Yeah, she can be doing those two roles at the same time, and they're like night and day, and and this is just all subtlety, um, being Trudy, and it's just she's so good, she's so good. She's one of my favorite young actresses right now, and I just anything she's in. I mean, we even watched this horrible movie, Save the Date, which is actually such a piece of trash. Um, but <laughs> so I'm guessing the movie Save the Date will not be your one fabulous thing, Shannon. Uh, that is correct. That is correct. Well, my one fabulous thing is a three-part series on PBS called The Bletchley Circle. And I'm a sucker for anything British that they show on PBS, basically. Me too. Yeah. Um, and The Bletchley Circle is about four women who worked at Bletchley Park, which is where all the code breakers worked in 
World War II, which is very famous for breaking the Enigma Code. And these four women worked there and were very good at what they did. And then um, this is 10 years later, and they're all in sort of like relatively uninteresting lives after, you know, the excitement of World War II. But they all team up to solve a crime that's happening in London using their pattern recognition skills and their geography map skills and their photographic memory skills. It's really great. So it takes place in 1950s London. And it's very, you know, very feminist in that they have nothing to do with their huge intellects, you know, except like keep house. And it's, it's great. And I've, I've seen the first episode, there's three all together. And I think you can stream it on PBS if you want to. Is it, is it fiction or is it a documentary? No, no, it's fiction. It's fiction. It's like, it's like, it's like not call them, call the code breaker you know, or something. (laughs) (laughs) That is a coincidence because I was actually going to talk about Call the Midwife. Uh, (laughs) Are you watching season two? I am. I talked generally about season one once before. Wait, wait, wait. How are you watching season two? Tell us all. On PBS. On PBS. Oh, that's really complicated. I don't know why I never thought of that. PBS.org, they're all there. Um, but I want to talk specifically about the episode that aired on Sunday the 28th. I won't spoil it too much for you guys, but um, it is them. It is their please do not make abortion illegal again episode, even more wow. so than anything else. Um, and it is one of the most like honest portrayals of desperation that I think I've ever seen. And the way that they approach this subject is just so frank and so important like this is what will happen if there isn't safe safe access to abortion this is what did happen when there wasn't safe access to abortion and it's just it's one of the most important pieces of pop culture i've seen recently i feel like everyone who thinks they're um anti-abortion should watch it and i just i'm so happy that there's a show that would go that bold with it with just the horror the absolute horror of facing something like that with no options. That show is so brilliant. And I, I don't, it's, it handles each up each issue with grace. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful show. I, I wish it had a better name because I think a lot of people are turned off by the title. I keep trying to get people to watch it and it's like, Oh, I don't want to watch about midwives, you know, but it, it's about women. <laughs> it's, it's so good. about the issues we face and it's just gorgeous show. I love it too. I'm two shows behind. I've got them recorded, Uh, but I love it too. It's a very low key show. I mean, I watch it and I'm thinking almost nothing happened, (laughs) you know, Um, but, uh, but yet it's really engrossing and the characters are really lovely. Um, Yeah. And there's a lot of subtlety going on. And um, I wish that one young attractive nun would just get it on with the doctor already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, well, I haven't watched season two yet because I obviously couldn't figure out how to watch it. So thank you. I will be watching that. Um, so I was going to say um, one show that I'm still behind on as well. I'm just behind in my TV is The Americans. I don't know if either of you guys are watching that. Um, but it's I've about spies. I've Yeah, it's about KGB spies in America. And it's really good. It's really awesome. Carrie Russell kicks a lot of ass. 
Um, so far, she's the only character. Of the, it's a man and a woman, and I've seen her kill more people than him. So I like that, you know. Like, <laughs> give me a badass any day. Um, and I love the main guy. He's from, um, he's Kevin from Brothers and Sisters, and I loved him in that. And he's such a great actor. And he looks really different in a lot of different wigs. So there's disguises, <laughs> secrecy. Um, you know, it's awesome. And it's in the 80s, which you don't see many shows set in the 80s. So it's kind of a funny, you know, funny world to go back to. But I'm really enjoying it. Um, the dialogue leaves a little to be desired. But I enjoy <laughs> the secret spy action. Um, I will also say one a plug for Top of the Lake, which is now streaming on Netflix. And I just saw the first episode. This is a series directed by Jane Campion, starring yeah. her very own Peggy, um, Elizabeth Moss, and Holly Hunter. And it's got all the really wicked Jane Campion wit to it, and it's a murder mystery. So that's all on Netflix. Dying to watch it. Yeah. Dying. I can't dying. wait to catch up with that. I just need a clone of myself to only watch TV. So I know. I or... need a few days. How can I get a few days off to just watch TV all day and not have my husband find out? Stomach flu. <laughs> Stomach just... flu. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Just start I'm licking every... subway poles and it'll happen. <laughs> Everybody needs a well-timed flu just to catch up on TV. Okay. So. I'm there. Go. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Damsels in Discussion. Um, we would love to hear from you during the week if you have any questions about the podcast or the shows we watch or something you'd especially like us to talk about. You can ask us a question at damselsdiscuss.tumblr.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and ask us there at damsels underscore discuss or on Facebook. Just search damsels in discussion on Facebook. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Stay away from my window. Stay away from my back door. Disconnect the telephone line. Sit right down and loosen up that pretty French gown. Let me pour you a good long drink. Ooh, baby, don't you hesitate.
Just let your inhibitions run wild The secret is about to unfold Upstairs before the night's too old Tonight, tonight It's gonna be Qu'est-ce qu'il va dire maman 